0: Guys for being here, for clapping, cheering, for singing together, you guys uh, are just an amazing group of people, family of believers, church family, and yeah, it's just been such a privilege and an honor for these past uh, this past year now that my wife Amy and I have been a part of this community and here at PBC. It's just truly been incredible. We've we've loved every second of it. Uh, this place is somewhere I would want to be, even if I didn't work here. And I'm not just saying that. I did it uh, from June last year to January. We were just here. And then I was able to, by God's grace, step into this role in January. And it's been incredible. And I've only come to love this community more as we've gotten more plugged in. So this is an awesome place to be. And I'm glad you're here if you're new. And thank you just for everything that, that you've done to make this place what it is for, for all of you that are here today. So Yeah, today we are finishing off our summer series, Broken People, Big God, and we're looking at the life of Peter, specifically the life of Peter from the book of John, chapter 21. So if you have a Bible, um, or if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the seat in front of you, but uh, the book of John, it's the... Kind of the the start of the New Testament, but the end of the gospel narrative. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And within the book of John, we're at the very end. This is kind of the epilogue of John's narrative of of who Jesus was, what he did, what he did with his disciples. And so we're going to read this this final chapter in the book together. But before we get there, I want to ask you all a question. And the question has to do with, has there ever been a time in your life, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago, where you said something or you did something, and right after, let's just say you said it, right after you said it, you wanted to take it back. Like, imagine those old school cartoons, if you've ever seen them, where the words, like their actual text is coming out of their mouth, and they're trying to grab the words. Like, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever said something that you're like, oh man, immediately, you're like, I wish, you know, okay, can I Google if there's a DeLorean for sale? Um, you know, like, we just want to go back. And there's a story for me, like a, a couple months ago this summer, I had the opportunity, and it, it was an honor for me, I was able to uh, officiate my first wedding. And it was super cool, it was a friend of, of ours, of Amy and I's, we've, we've known them for a long time, we've been in a, a Bible study together, like, ever since college, so uh, my friend and his, his now wife came up to me and said, hey, do you want to officiate our wedding? And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I would love to, and, you know, I was kind of preparing for a long time, you know, I got, got books, and it was getting ready to, you know, to, to preach, but um, in a different way, not like today, <laughs> it was kind of similar, but different, and um, I As I was preparing, I was nervous, but I was excited, and we got to that day, we got to the wedding day after the rehearsal and after meeting with my friend and, you know, his fiance at the time, and we get there, we get to the wedding day, you know, the groom comes up, the bride comes up, and I'm about to speak, and... Praise God, nothing happened during the ceremony. We get it's a sigh of relief. It went well uh, it was It was encouraging. It was good. I was blessed to be able to just speak the gospel into them as they start their marriage and yeah, it was encouraging. I was like feeling good. I was like god man god 's good. He you know was able to speak through me in this situation. But then after the ceremony we 're kind of you know doing the food, the dinner, and then we 're dancing and then eventually Amy and I are getting ready to leave, and we see the, this friend of ours who's like not like one of my best friends. Like, I, you know, I know him and I, I know him enough to know he's not like in a serious relationship. He's not married, but he's with this girl, right? And I'm like, who, who is this girl, right? And I saw him a couple times throughout the, the wedding and I just have to say something. They come up and we kind of say, you know, hello to our friend and then we meet this girl and I'm like, oh, are you guys dating? <laughs> and her like expression, she just laughs. Like she just laugh out loud. And, he, and my friend is like, stone cold. Like he's just seen a ghost, like so embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. It's this whole thing. Right. And I'm like, gosh, darn it. Like, why did I say that? I could have just not said anything. Right. Like I could have just been like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm going to go home. And that's not what happened. I had to say it. And it was just one of those moments where, you know, you just, you want to take the words back. And I bring that up because today, as we look at the life of Peter, Peter is kind of um, famous, like he's infamous even for being the guy who kind of does that who like says things and then it you know he probably would like to take him back he he says things sometimes he says really good things he's kind of this like spokesperson for the group of disciples jesus you know he's walking around in in the world he's he's teaching he's he's leading he's doing miracles and he's got his his friends his disciples and peter is kind of the he has this leadership role. He, he speaks up a lot. He speaks his mind. And sometimes, like I said, he says really good things. Like there's this story in Matthew 16, where Peter affirms to Jesus that he says, you know, Jesus is wondering what his disciples think about who he is. And Peter's like, man, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. We, we believe in you. And Jesus is like, yes, you are correct, like any he, and he commends peter he he says that was given to you not just from yourself, but God gave you that truth, and he commissions Peter to be a leader in the church. And then in the same chapter, just a couple verses later, Jesus is talking about going to die on the cross. And Peter's like, no, Jesus, you can't do that. Like, no way. That's never going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Like, Jesus is like, you're the rock I'm going to build my church on. You're Satan and you're a hindrance to me. Like, it's this crazy, you know, that's kind of the life of Peter. He, he speaks his mind. He's a, he's a bold and courageous follower of Jesus. And he makes mistakes. And I think the fact that he makes mistakes like that, even though he has that heart to follow Jesus, it kind of, you know, lets us kind of chuckle and and have some fun looking at his life, but it also makes him really relatable. Because I don't know about you, like I just shared one story, but there's a million more in my life where I say things I wish I could take back, where I do things that I regret. And I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. It's heavy on my heart. So Peter, as we read about these stories and it's, you know, Jesus and it's 2,000 years ago and it's hard to sometimes put ourselves in these stories, I think Peter is one of those people that if we let ourselves, we can actually relate to him and to how he interacts with what's going on in these stories, how he interacts with Jesus. So we're going to look at this story in John chapter 21 and this story of of Peter and of Jesus. And um, we're going to read it together. And before we dive in, as we're kind of jumping into this section of the story at the end of the book as we're parachuting into here, we want to just, some key information. This is, it is at the end of the gospel narrative. So Jesus has already died. He's already risen from the grave. He's done all of his ministry. And he's already appeared to his disciples a couple times. He's, he's talked to them. He's revealed himself to them. And this is after Peter's biggest failure, his den- denial of Jesus, where he, he denies to know Jesus three times in John 18. And we're going to come back to that, but that's just some key background info for this story in John chapter 21. So let's read it together. John chapter 21, starting in verse one. It says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So kind of just everybody that was there. And it says in verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, children, The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Seems pretty far to me. I don't know about you guys. A hundred yards swimming? That's a lot. Uh, Verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter brought a, a, He went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although they were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Here's the big idea of this this passage, I think. What what God is, I, I think, trying to get us to see as we read this story of Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and Peter, I think the, the, the main thing is that Jesus doesn't want to condemn us. Jesus wants to redeem us. He doesn't want to condemn us. He wants to redeem us. And we're going to look at how that is shown to be true through this passage, through this passage of fishing and breakfast and all these things. We're going to look at what it says about God's heart for us, for you and me. So we're gonna look at this passage, we're gonna look at it in three different parts. The first, I kinda of just said what it was, it was going fishing. Can I have a raise of hands, who likes to fish? Does anybody like to fish? Nice, we got a good amount of people who like to fish. Okay, so does any of you who raise your hand, uh, or maybe, maybe somebody didn't raise their hand, but does anybody fish for a living? Like is anybody a professional fisherman? nobody, just so you know, because you're looking at me. And I expected that, right? Because we live in the desert. (laughs) Like, we don't have a lot of water. We don't have the ocean in Arizona. And uh, I think the funny thing is, like, for me, I'm actually from Florida. Like, I'm from southwest Florida. And, you know, there is a lot of water there. There's a lot of fish. But even I think if I asked a similar size of people, like, are there any professional fishermen, there wouldn't Maybe there'd be like one or two hands, but like, probably not. Like we just don't, there's not a lot of fishermen by trade today. Um, at least like in these types of environments and the disciples though, they were fishermen. That was their profession. That was what they did. They, before Jesus were all about fishing, about going out on their boats, right? They would bring in these hauls of fish. That's how they lived. That's how they survived. That's what they did for a living. And Now, in John 21, they find themselves, Peter and the disciples, in this kind of this in-between time, right? Because Jesus has risen from the dead, but he hasn't yet gone back to heaven. Jesus has appeared to his disciples, but the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come upon them in Acts 2. There's the empty tomb, but there's not yet the great commission. So the disciples are kind of waiting. They're kind of in this, I don't really know what's going on situation. it's an in between. And we see what they do is I think what, what we would do is they go back to what they know. They go back to what they've always done. They go back to what honestly, probably they need to do to survive, to live, to, to have food, to be able to support their families. They go back to fishing. And, and my question for us to, to think about is, is what is your fishing? What's your boat? What's the thing that you go back to when you're unsure of what, what's, what's the real deal? Like, what's God doing in my life? We don't really know, so we just go back to what's comfortable. Like, maybe it's that, that job that, you know, you were, you were going for something that you really felt called to, you felt like you needed to start that business or, or, or go on a mission or go do something big, but it doesn't really work out, so you just go back to the day job that, you know, you got your degree in or you know how to do. Maybe it's that relationship that, you know, when things don't really work out, you just, you always find yourself back in it and it's comfortable, it's easy, but you know, it's not what God's called you to. What is that for you? Could be that job, could be that place, could be that relationship. And what happens when we're in that season of in-between and we go back to what we know, what happens when Jesus shows up on the beach? When he shows up and he starts talking, do, are we too focused on what's going on over here that we don't? hear him. In this story, thankfully, Jesus does show up because the disciples are fishing and fishing is great, right? But fishing is also kind of boring, right? Like it, it takes so much time. And even the, in this story, right? They're out all night and they get no fish. So thankfully, right? In the morning, Jesus shows up. And in verse four, Jesus, uh, you know, he's there, but the disciples don't recognize him quite yet. And then in verse five, right? It's clarifies the disciples have no fish. They've been fishing all night. And it's not like these guys are, you know, novices. They don't know what they're doing. No, these guys are fishermen. Like they've been doing this for a long time. They, it's just a bad night of fishing. And in verse six, what happens? The, this, this crazy thing happens. Jesus tells them, Hey, throw the net on the other side of the boat. And then they get this incredible, large haul of fish, even more than they were prepared for. They couldn't even carry it on the boat. It was that many fish. And it's a miracle. Like, Jesus saying cast the net on that side, it's not just like, oh, you know, like, have you guys thought about, like, trying the other side? Like, no, it's actually like a last-ditch effort. Like, they would have been prepared, they would have had all these, like, a Underneath the net, they would have had something to help catch fish. They would have had all this structure. And the the point of their expertise, what you know, they knew was that they need to catch the fish in this way. And sometimes fishermen would probably like at the end of the day, they'd just throw the net over and be like, ah, maybe we'll catch something. Like maybe there'll be a miracle. Lucky for them, right? Jesus is there, so there is a miracle. There is this great catch of fish. In an improbable, illogical, not a normal way, Jesus brings this abundant provision. And another question for us is, has that ever happened to you? And if it has or if it does, what is your reaction to it? Because I think sometimes God does bless us, right? God does give us that thing that we've been praying for. Maybe he gives us that promotion. He gives us that house. He gives us that that family, that relationship, whatever it is. But how often do we receive that blessing? And and, and it's from Jesus, right? It's too great for us. It's too crazy. We couldn't have made it happen on our own. And we receive it, and then we just keep going this way. We don't We don't look to the one who gave it. We just focus on the thing that he gave. Does that happen for you? That happens for me. Like I can just see myself in the disciples situation where they're fishing. They haven't caught anything all night. And then this random guy shows up and suddenly there's 153 fish where there was zero before. And I can just see myself being like, holy moly, like I got to keep fishing, right? I got to keep doing this. This is what I'm supposed to do. Obviously, like God has blessed me. But this miracle isn't about the fish. This miracle is about who Jesus is. And we we see that in the passage where um, when the disciples, when this happens, John, the author of this gospel, says, it is the Lord. When there's a miracle the disciples know that Jesus is around and they, they exclaim that, John exclaims that. And then Peter, he does a lot of things that he would like to take back, right? In his life, but this isn't one of them. Peter, as soon as he hears that it's Jesus, it says he threw himself into the sea. Passionately, action oriented. He goes and he throws himself into the sea to chase after Jesus. What do we do? What do you do? When God gives provision, do we stay in the boat or do we swim to shore? Do we swim to the one who provided the blessing or do we just focus on that thing? Or do we go to the one who's given it to us? John and Peter recognize that it is Jesus and that they point out for us this truth that God's provision is meant to remind us of who he is. It's meant to tell us something about himself When something happens in our lives that's positive that we know is from God, we're not supposed to just keep on going and say, this is great. Now I have more, you know, finances. I can do more, you know, I don't know. I can get a bigger TV. Like maybe God blesses you with that. Great. But God's blessing isn't just for the physical thing. It's to reveal more of himself to us. That's what happens here. So the question is, how do we react to God's provision in our fishing seasons when we're in the in-between? Because no matter where we are, Jesus is always calling us to himself, every one of us. We need to swim to Jesus again and again in our lives. We need to get out of that boat and swim to Jesus. This brings us to part two. As we're breaking down this story into three parts, part two is having breakfast. Riveting, right? Like really provocative. Have breakfast. Uh, Jesus, he, he says that to his disciples in verse um, 12. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible, right? He says, come and have breakfast breakfast, and and, and I love this, and we'll talk more about this, actually, the significance of that, but um, the passage, the the section of the passage starts off with verse 9, and he says, uh, when they got out on land, they, the disciples, saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. So that's the scene that Jesus is inviting them into to have breakfast. There's a charcoal fire, and Like as I read this, I I think like there's some there's got to be some significance to the the type of fire. Like I don't know. I always say like campfire or you know like fire pit. I don't often like specify the type of fire. And 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 John the author, I think he does this intentionally. If you've just been reading through the Book of John, maybe somebody has. Maybe you'd remember if you go back a few pages to John chapter 18, verse 17. We see this story where Jesus is, he's been arrested and he's being taken to be tried. He's uh, about to, you know, they're about to bring him to the cross. And Peter is following, but kind of from a distance. He's trying to see if he can figure out what's going on. And then you have this situation in verse 17, John chapter 18, where he's encountered with this, these questions. And it says in verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said, I am not. Now the servants and officers made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves around it. And Peter also was with him standing and warming himself. And skip down to verse 25. It says, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself still by the fire. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, it's a story for another day. Did I not see you, he said, in the garden with him, with Jesus? Verse 27, Peter again denied it. And at once a rooster crowed. And the significance of that, the rooster crowing is from John chapter 13, where Peter is saying to Jesus, one of his big, bold statements of faith, hey, I'm going to go with you to the end. Even if I have to die with you, I'm with you. And Jesus says, hang on, buddy. Before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Jesus predicts this situation where Peter is faced with these questions and he denies that he knows Jesus. And, and, and this is in other, other gospel accounts. It says that after Peter hears the rooster, he actually sees Jesus look at him and then he weeps bitterly. Peter is grieved. He knows what he's done. He's denied his savior. And I, I think as, as, as we look at this situation with Peter, it's really not that foreign. Like, it's really not that crazy to think about. Like, when we're in a situation where it's, it's all on the line and, you know, we, we have to have faith and be courageous and not give in to fear, like, I know for me, lots of times I give in the fear. And Peter, as he's reminded of this situation now in our passage in John chapter 21, so clearly I think he would be thinking about what happened. He sees this fire and Jesus is around it and he knows that Jesus saw him deny him. So he's walking to this clear reminder. And man, isn't it so easy when we're reminded of pain and hurt and brokenness just to to walk the other way? To hold back from from thinking about it or stepping into it, like when that name pops up on your phone, when, when, when your GPS tells you to go to that street that you know and it hurts and, and you end up going 20 minutes out of the way just to avoid it, when you know you, you get that email, when you hear that song, when you see that car driving by, when that person reaches out and says, hey, can we talk? Isn't it so easy just to Go the other way, to not engage. Has that ever happened for you? It has for me, for sure. I think as we look at this passage, though, the, 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 the thing that comes up, the, the question that, that we're raised, that we, I want us to think about today is, is, what if those painful reminders, what if those situations that bring up that pain, that bring up that hurt, what if they're not just to reinforce The regret? What if they're not just to bring those feelings back up, but what if they're to redeem it? What if Jesus allows those reminders in our lives so that He can save us from that crippling regret? He can save us from that shame. He can bring us out of that guilt and into His grace. What if the reminder is there for redemption? Because here's what happens in this passage, right? Peter sits down and Jesus right away starts talking to him. He doesn't give him, you know, the biggest, I told you so, of history, right? He doesn't hammer in the shame that Peter, I'm sure, was feeling. He just says, come and have breakfast. He just wants to connect with Peter. He just cares for Peter. He invites him to a meal. There's not guilt, there's grace. There's not shame, there's relationship. And, and I love how when Jesus invites them to breakfast, the simple thing, that's when all the disciples are sure that it's Jesus. In the, in the passage, it says, come and have breakfast. And then it says, and the disciples dared not ask who it was because they knew it was the Lord. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is, is the God of redemption. He's the God of mercy and grace. He wants you. You. He wants you to sit down with him in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the regret, of the failure, of the brokenness. He wants you and your heart. He's waiting. Will you join him? I think that's what we're faced with today. This leads us to the last section, part three. We're titling it Lean In and Step Out. This comes from the last little section of verses. We didn't read them earlier, so we're going to. Look at verse, starting in verse 15. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to die to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, the guy who denied Jesus to to the servant girl who was sitting around the fire and couldn't muster up the strength to say, yes, I'm a follower. Now Jesus is giving him this opportunity to directly step into those three denials and have three affirmations of his love for Jesus and Jesus's authority, Jesus's power. Right? He says, "Jesus, you know that I love you. You know everything. I know that you are you are the Savior. You are God, and I trust you." Jesus invites Peter into this clear and direct redemption. I can just see Jesus sitting down with Peter, and he and he leans in with Peter, and he says, "Hey, let's 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 rewrite this story. Let's let's take your heart from." fear to faith. Let's go from doubt to confidence. Let's go from regret to redemption. Let's go from hopelessness to purpose, from grief to glory. Because not only, right, does Jesus give Peter this redemption and establish him again as a leader in the church, but Peter then goes and lives this life of service to Jesus and, and Jesus predicts a new prediction, not that Peter would deny him, but that Peter would in the end, die a death to glorify God. And we see Peter's story play out in the rest of scripture. In Acts 2, Peter preaches this sermon with the empowering of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people come to believe on the spot. In Acts 4, Peter is with John, the author of this gospel, and they're in front of the, the Pharisees and the people that don't want the Jesus movement, the gospel to spread. And they say, you need to stop. You need to stop talking about Jesus. And Peter and John say, we can't help but talk about what we have seen and heard. We can't help but share the message of Jesus. Peter, who was denying Jesus, is now proclaiming his love. To the end, he proclaimed his love for his life. He leads the church. We see that in First and Second Peter, like we talked about earlier in our service. Peter leads and guides and shepherds, just like Jesus calls him to. So back to that big idea we mentioned earlier, Jesus doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to redeem you. That's what happens with Peter in this passage. Jesus doesn't condemn. He doesn't bring more shame. He brings grace and redemption and mercy and purpose and calling. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus is like. That's Peter's story as we're looking, as we're wrapping up this series, right? Peter is a broken person. So am I challenge you to think about for you, what what is that brokenness in your heart that's keeping you from engaging with the redemption that Jesus wants to bring? That's available to you now. Like Peter had to wait three days. Peter had to wait for Jesus in the grave and then to rise and then to have all this situation. News, like Jesus is alive today. He's available to you. He wants you to step in and to lean into his redemption, his love right now. So as we come to a close today, I just want to point out just three things, three things for us to remember. Maybe you can write these down or you can pray about these this week. And uh, number one is get out of your boat. Stop fishing. Whatever that is for you, whatever that means for you, don't just keep going through the motions. When Jesus speaks, listen to him, dive into that water and swim to Jesus. Number two is sit down with Jesus. He's inviting you to breakfast. He's inviting you just to enter into relationship with him. So I encourage all of us today, think about that reminder that comes up, not as a, just an affirmation of what was said about you or a, you know, a way to reinforce that regret or that grief, but think about it as a way that Jesus wants to bring redemption. He's waiting for you to sit down. The last thing is lean into that redemption and step out into your calling. When Jesus asked Peter those three questions that echo his three denials, Peter responds with faith where there was fear. He responds with affirmation where there was rejection. He responds with obedience where there was denial. I encourage us, think about how will you respond? How will I respond? What do I do when when Jesus gives me that opportunity to rewrite the story, do I just go back to the way it was or do I engage, even if it's hard, even in the hurt, there is healing. So will you engage with the redemption and the calling that Jesus wants to bring to your life, to your heart, through your life, in your story, Jesus wants to bring that redemption. For me, this has come up in so many different ways in my life and I've shared just a little bit about my story through this message, but. Even something like this, being up here, preaching the gospel to you all is something for me that's honestly like a charcoal fire. Because in that season where Amy, my wife and I were attending PBC, but I wasn't yet on staff, like that, that season was happening. I wasn't in ministry because I was let go from my previous ministry job. And I didn't know why, really, I was confused. I was hurt. And it was the season of in between where I was like, God, what are you doing? Well, what have I done? And there was all these little ways that I, in the midst of that, had my own denials, right? I trusted my understanding. I, I tried to figure it all out on my own. I didn't trust in God. And through that time, even through my failure, even through the ways that I was afraid to engage in God's redemption, He just kept chasing after me. And, and just through the little steps, I don't think I ever had a big dive in the water, swim 100 yards to Jesus moment, but through the little steps, Jesus just kept inviting me in and kept inviting me to breakfast. And eventually, like, there's more of that story. i love to tell you more about it. But eventually, right, like, here I am. And, and it's, it's hard. It's still hard, but it's good. And Jesus has brought so much healing through the hurt. He's brought so much love through the pain. And so as, as we close today, I just want us to think about, and really my, my prayer for you is that you would lean in to Jesus. That you would think about, consider, what is, what's holding me back? What, what is stopping me from sitting down with Jesus? What is that pain? What is that regret? What is that failure that you think disqualifies you from connecting with Jesus? Like we just sang Romans 8 earlier this morning. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8 1 says that we are more than conquerors. We can move forward through any failure, any pain, any hurt, because he loves us, and we can never be separated from his love. Jesus doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to redeem you, and that redemption is available now because the cross, it's already happened. The empty grave, it's still empty. Jesus is here now. He's asking you to sit down with him. So what's stopping you? And will you take that step of courage and faith and just fall into the arms of the Father? It's not about our ability. It's just that step. And Jesus is there waiting. So step into it. Stepping into his redemption, what he's calling you to do. Would you all pray with me? Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your redemption. I pray that each and every one of us today could just consider the ways that you are bringing healing even in the midst of our pain that while we think it's impossible god you're the god of impossible you're the god who does things that could never happen just by our own strength i pray that when that miracle does come that we would let it turn us to you let our eyes be fixed on the provider the sustainer, the redeemer of our souls. Help us, Lord, just to encounter your grace and to step into it, to lay aside all of those weights and those sins that keep us away from you, because the reality is that you've already paid for them. You've already conquered them on the cross, and you've risen from the dead in victory to redeem it all and to redeem our hearts. So God, I just pray that we would be able to step in to that redemption, into your love, and we'd be able to see not only the transformation you can bring in us, but the work you can do through us, the purpose that you can bring to our lives. God, I pray that we would encounter that and engage in that today, this week, as we live through our lives again and again, we would sit down to breakfast with you because you have everything we need. You have everything for us to live a life that glorifies you. Help us to step into that today, Jesus. We love you, we thank you, we praise you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.